Back to the draft we go here on Locked On Pacers, taking a deep dive into the game of Taylor Hendricks. Could he be a great fit with the Pacers? Why he's considered a top 10 prospect, his high floor, and more. It's all coming today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, diving into a prospect that is many Pacers fans' favorite, a guy who already worked out for the team Central Florida forward wing for whatever you want to call him, Taylor Hendricks. Great shooter, great defender. What's not to like? We get to all of his game today with Zach Milner, one of my favorite people covering the draft in the public sphere these days, who tracks his own stats, including NBA threes for each of these prospects. We dive into all aspects of Hendricks' game on both ends of the floor. Uh, I apologize for a few things. One, that the last four episodes you listened to were pre-recorded. I was in New York on a trip, but got engaged, so it was fantastic, and I don't feel that bad about it. And I do feel bad that I'm sick right now, as you can hear in my voice, but thankfully I recorded with Zach a couple hours ago when I was at Cambridge Fieldhouse for the Fever game, and my voice was way less stuffy then. So the audio is fantastic, and Zach was fantastic, and Taylor Hendricks is, you guessed it, fantastic. We'll dive into all of it today. Let's just get right to it. Put it off for too long. It's Taylor Hendricks Day here on Lockdown Pacers, one of many Pacers fans' favorite prospects in the top 10 of this NBA draft. 3 and D skills are what lots of teams want, and hey, he might be exactly that. Joining me to break down Taylor Hendricks' game top to bottom as much as we can in the allotted time is Zach Milner, one of my favorite people breaking down the draft every year. I believe we talked to Tari Eason last year, who made an all-rookie team, so look at us looking very smart. Give me your elevator pitch for Taylor Hendricks before we really dive in. Uh, quick pitch is just three and D like a rim protection kind of guy as well. Has really nice secondary rim protection, um, smart, long, and can hit, can hit three. So versatile defender as well. There, there's your quick pitch. There's no such thing as a can't miss prospect, I guess, Wemby. But like, if you had to think of a can't miss role player prospect, Hendricks is pretty close to me to kind of like, like the the downside risk is really unlikely to happen to me. Like at least one of some of the stuff you just said of the defensive stuff and the three, if only one of them actually is an NBA skill, he'll still be good enough to play like for a team, right? Like wings who can either shoot or defend, keep you on an NBA court. You, we just watched the finals end where, you know, a lot of those specialist type players were really crucial in the series. Like even if he's just one of the two and he looks like he very well could be both he was a valuable NBA prospect and that's why I think the floor being so high and valuable makes him such an an interesting guy to kind of talk about in this cycle yeah I agree I will say like if the shot doesn't come around to what we think I mean it's already it it was good this past year let's say the shot doesn't fully translate when they take a few steps back to NBA range and all that kind of stuff and if that's not good enough then you probably have some questions is like is it going to be worth the actual pick that they're picking at um but still with with his length and his like defensive stuff um, he should still be able to provide some value on the defensive end, even without the shot. But yeah, obviously you want the shot to come around or to stay being good, even when he has to expand his range. And then you're going to have a really nice rotation player. I want to start with the defense because that's sort of where I feel like 
as a prospect, his the biggest sales pitch for him would be. And if you're the Pacers who have talked all summer on the record, not hiding it, not leaking it to reporters, we want fours, we want defense, we want to be better on that end. You know, they care very much about this. A lot of the prospects who have come through Indiana into the St. Vincent Center, including Hendricks, have talked about the drills being defensive focused and how you switch on to this guy and how willing you are to do X, Y, Z, whatever. It's drills in a, in a workout. But as it actually applies to the NBA floor, this is where Hendricks shines the most to me as a prospect. He's good at offensive things. We'll talk about that. But, you know, he he's always in the right spot. He's attentive to the full game. And I'm very critical of a lot of prospects, like a lot of prospects. I'm like, man, their off-ball defense leaves me with some questions, right? So I think their positioning is going to be good. So I think their rotation timing will be good. Can they ever? And some prospects, they've never had to be good at that stuff because they're just more athletic and faster. Hendricks is very good at that stuff. Even yeah. when it's not his man guarding the ball, he can. he's always in the right spot. He's attentive. He rotates to the right spot. He covered a lot of mistakes for UCF this past season. And it just so happens – but he's also a pretty dang good on-the-ball defender who's long and has good foot speed, can stay in front of wings, is fine enough staying in front of guards. Like, there's going to be holes in every prospect's defense, but that is where he shines as a prospect to me. It's just like this guy's size and defensive ability combination is so rare from someone that young entering the league. Agree 100%, especially how you brought up being critical of defenders in college and their off-ball defense. I think one thing with this class, and I've mentioned it throughout the years, I feel like the the feel of this overall class has been underwhelming to me, honestly. I, I haven't felt like the average feel of a player on the defensive end has been that great. Um, so the certain the people that do have good feel stand out even more this year. And if we're looking at just like the top 20, 25 picks in this draft, I think there is a lot of really awesome wing shooters in this class. Um, but then you go to their defensive side of the game. You can look at Jet Howard or, or Bryce Sensiball, Max Lewis a little further down as well. Um, the defense is the question, right? Uh, so when you have Taylor Hendricks, who might not be the same level shooter as a Jet Howard, uh, him having that kind of defense while still being a solid shooter really does stand out. Yeah, I'm rarely like, you know, I think it's just because the rest of the prospects are not Great. And this is not a this year thing. This is an every year thing. Like, I don't know why I just like, okay, I'm curious what your team defense will be like for like every college prospect ever. Like when they're good at it, Jarris was good at it too. It's just so obvious. Like I was like, oh, mm-hmm. you're, you're never in the wrong spot. Or like that was never your miss. And for him, like a 6.2% block rate, like he wasn't ever like Walker had a high block rate, but he guarded big sometimes. Like Hendricks almost always was guarding perimeter players. Like that's insane. That's an insane number. Yeah, and, and and back to the off-ball defense thing. One thing to remember when evaluating players and, and prospects is when you see this kind of off-ball defense from a freshman, um, Jarris, Taylor Hendricks, really, really impressive. And with other freshmen who don't show it, that's why you have to look for the flashes because you have to remember, like, going to the college level, um, especially when you're in a doesn't work for Taylor Hendricks as much as it does for some other players who are playing in the SEC or the Big 12 or something like that, um, but when you're playing in those conferences, it's a, it's a big step forward. And and there are times where you're going to lose your man off the ball. It's just how often are you going to do it? How often are you going to be able to accept, Oh, you get back cut here once every three games, not a big deal. Is it happening three times a game? Okay. That's a problem. So trying to figure out the balance of how much is too much as well, when it comes to the mistakes on that end. So the offensive side, the shooting obviously is the standout thing. 
I mean, he takes a bunch, not a bunch, he takes a decent amount. Five a game was what it settled in at, but the three-point attempt rate was really solid, which is perhaps a better indicator of his ability to get them up, especially on a team that had, how do I kindly describe Central Florida's shot creation ability, Zach, without being, <laughs> uh, uh, okay, creators, I suppose? <laughs> I'd say I'd say okay is fine. Like, I would say it was fine. Like, it was, it was okay. <laughs> Hey, okay, creators, he can get them up and he can make them. And that's the important part. And, you know, if you're a data nerd, okay, great. He made most, he was good enough from the foul line. The three goes in, like we could get to other offensive skills because there is actually one I'm a little concerned about. But in general, if you're that level of a shooter and you can get them up in the NBA, even if you only make 34, 35%, just being able to take them changes how you're guarded and how you'll fit into an offensive scheme. And that is also why, I'm high on him as a 3 and D prospect because that is super valuable. And that's kind of what separates him from some other forwards in the, in this year's classes. He is a better shooter than most of them, or at least projects to be because of his ability to not only make them, but get them up even on a team without good creators. And if we're on a Pacers podcast, there's pretty dang good creators in the Indiana Pacers right now. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I'm glad you brought that up because volume is something that I have been trying to talk about a lot over the last few years. And it, it's so, so important to actually get the defense's respect. Um, I think it's a little, it's easier to describe when it comes to bigs and people who try to project shooting bigs. I think, so I'll just use that, but we'll move it over to Taylor Hendricks. But when you have someone which you can actually do pick and pop with Taylor Hendricks, actually. But when you have someone um, who is capable of making threes, but is only going to take two or three threes a game, sure, let's say you take two a game, you make one. 50% shooter sounds really nice, but if you're only making one three a game, a defense is not going to take their rim protector away from the basket to actually contest your shot. They'll right. say, okay, you can have one or two threes a game. That's fine. We'll take everything away inside. And that's why volume is so important because you actually need to get the defense's respect and demand them to close out on you, which then opens up the floor so much for your ball handlers. And I think when you go to the wings as well, when you look at some people in the playoffs, you can go to the Lakers with Jared Vanderbilt this year or with Gary Payton. Uh, you can see it with all these other guys as well as if they're not going to get them up or, or if they are poor shooters, teams are just going to completely ignore you on that end also. Well, so being able even the flip side for Denver, Aaron Gordon actually taking them was huge mm -hmm. for them against Phoenix exactly. and LA at times. Exactly. So uh, being able to take and make threes, it's not just one or the other. Both are very, very important. Um, he, he does have that, which is very, very nice. Hey guys, short little break here so I can talk to you about Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Made Easy. It's pretty simple. You pick a player and will they exceed their over under for any stat? Will Mike Trout have more or less than one and a half hits? For example, they do it for a bunch of sports at any level, and it's super simple. You pick two to six players where they score more or less in their prize picks projection on a bunch of stats. You can up to 25 times your money on any entry. It's not you versus other people. It's just you versus their projections, which is why I think it's so fun. You can make your picks in 60 seconds or less. It's easy. It's safe. They have fast withdrawals, and it's currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. So download the prize picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKEDON. Plug that code LOCKEDON in. If you deposit 100, price pick could give you 100. You deposit 50, they'll give you 50. But don't forget to enter that promo code LOCKEDON and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. $100 at price picks. Daily Fantasy made easy. What else stands out to you about his offensive game? Like, he's not the best finisher. We'll get to that. I think that's a little overblown, honestly. Like, he's not awful at it. But, like... 
he has a couple one-two dribble moves. His passing's fine. Like, is anything else jump out to you? Is like this will be a strength for him uh, as an offensive player in the NBA. The offensive glass, for example, he's very nice. At again, goes back to his feel and reads. But what else stands out to you about his offense? Yeah, so we'll go to the finishing in a little, like you said. I do want to talk about the off the dribble stuff a little bit. I think I'm a little bit more on the skeptical side there, but hey, uh, yeah. but I do want to say I think he has a decent first step. But the combination of poor footwork, not having the best handles, his balance isn't that great, and that comes back to his strength as well. Does make it pretty difficult for him to create some stuff off the dribble. He can get pushed off of spots, or he loses his handle, doesn't get up and his pull up very smoothly. There were a couple of uh, impressive flashes this year where he was able to get into a nice pull-up. And one thing that he has going for him is with his size and his, his release, he is able to shoot over the top of players, which that is the optimistic look of it. But I, I as a whole of what he has, I don't think that uh, – I personally am not projecting him to be some kind of off-the- dribble creator at the next level um even though he did show a little bit of flashes there so i think that's interesting to talk about with him just because uh people can view that differently but those are the the flaws that i see on that part of his game when i was watching grady dick that was the most interesting thing for me was what can he do when he's run out the line right because he's viewed so highly as a shooter and he had some stuff right he could take two dribbles get to the rim and do something sometimes it was good sometimes it wasn't but just being able to do it was something that with hendrix i'm kind of like okay i don't see as much of that Mm -hmm. from you which would be nice to know that especially on a, an nba team with better creators like can you punish a closeout even that level of it would be i think significant for his game and i think that's a good segue to get into the, the transition into the finishing because running him off the line how is he going to be able to punish that yeah right and being able to finish right at the rim is really important his numbers did not look that good this year especially on layups if you go to synergy and you look at his layups in the half court this year uh doesn't look great 40% on layups in the half court is not what you want to see. I do think there is some context to remember. Um, and with him, I think it's interesting to, to figure out, do you think this is more of a strength-related thing or is it more of a touch thing? Because his strength and his balance when he goes up in, in, in traffic isn't the best. Um, and that can have hurt his finishing, but also he misses some touch shot as well. So which one do you think it is? And do you think it's easier to improve touch versus the strength part? And that, I think that can change how someone views his finishing projection. He's like the anti-Cam Whitmore finishing. <laughs> <laughs> like Cam's just like, I'm going to jump up right through you. And right. Hendricks is going to go around. It's interesting because when you bake in transition, like he's a good transition player. And we'll, we'll talk about that because, hey, the Pacers uh, like to run. Um, and he dunks. He's athletic enough. He dunked a lot. Like, if you just blow up a shot chart, you're like, nice. Taylor Hendricks shot 66% at the rim and, like, 50% in the paint. That's pretty good. And then you look at what you just said. Like, someone sent me that before the draft combine. They're like, have you seen his synergy numbers for finishing? I'm like, no. And then I looked and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is – it's totally different, right? And that is a huge part of his game. And, like, we just talked about him getting around the line. And I think – for some people, and I might fall into this category a little bit, is like, you know, if his floor is so good that he's a great prospect. Like any team that picks him will be happy. But I think a lot of teams that are a lot of people that think about upside of picks, if there is le very low creation upside for Hendricks, he might just be limited to role player on offense. And that does limit the upside unless he can run guys off the line. And then he becomes a lot more very quickly. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, and just to go back to the the dunks versus the layups thing and the half court finishing at the rim, just to touch on it a little bit more, is I, I do find looking at that very important when talking about a prospect's finishing. But I also want to make it known that 
dunks are obviously very good. You don't want to criticize him. Worth two points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and they're easy, right? You don't want to right. criticize him um, because he has a lot of dunks that boost his percentages. That's not the thing. It's just when you're talking about his touch, maybe right. he won't be able to get as many dunks at the next level. And then when he is contested at the rim, how is he going to be on those, especially um, with the rim protectors in the NBA? It does get a little bit tougher. So I, I always look at... Um, I call them touch shots. So it's not just layups. I like to look at floaters, hook shots, and layups. So all stuff that are around the rim, um, excluding dunks. I like to look at their percentages there um, just to get a feel for their touch. But if someone has a lot of dunks, that's still part of finishing. That's still good. Um, just you have to know that the dunks might not come all the game all the time. We don't see guys get that many dunks a game. Um, and sometimes those dunks are coming in transition, not in the half court. So looking at the half court numbers versus the transition numbers is also uh, an important thing to differentiate. The context of how he played at UCF makes it hard for me to sometimes think about his cutting because there were a lot of possessions where like he'll catch it at the top, they'll flow in a pistol, he tosses it to a guard, and then he stands in the corner because that helped their spacing so much. It's like he didn't cut, but it wasn't because he's not necessarily a good or bad cutter. That's just what they wanted him to do, right? They're like, go stand over there and help us. And so, like, I feel, you know, I, I I wanted to tie this into the dunks. Like, if you could back cut a guy three times a game to go back to your earlier reference, just to, you know, make the de- defense think about you or make his own man think about you, like, that'd be huge. And I don't have a lot of I, – I don't know if you have synergy up right in front of you right now, but, like, I feel like in my watch of him, there wasn't a lot of tape of cuts. Like, they happen. Yeah, every player cuts in a game, but just, like – this is part of the set or this is part of the possession or I didn't feel like that was a strength or weakness of him, but I feel like that's a way he could develop significantly a la Doug McDermott with the Pacers to kind of add to his offensive repertoire outside of shooting. Yeah, I think that's a great way. Uh, I do a synergy up. They have him. They actually do have it as his second most frequent, but synergy also does put like some dunker spot stuff as cuts as well because yeah. uh, it's tough to categorize some of that stuff as well. So I wouldn't put too much into the frequency. It would take 10 thing. years to double check every play. <laughs> In terms of off ball cutting, I do agree with you. Um, and that also, once again, comes into finishing, right? If you're cutting, you got to be able to finish, but it's much more. Um, and we could talk about pick and roll stuff as well, right? We talk about pick and pop. He can roll and he can get some dunks there catch lobs in the pick and roll he could dunk on back doors on baseline cuts um those are probably more common to get dunks than actually him attacking a close out with her protection right. there sometimes so um that's interesting but yeah i think that's definitely a area for improvement or an area that we can see more of at the next level and if he can just be even if any of the off the dribble stuff in terms of on ball creation stuff doesn't work out if he can improve his finishing in the half court on layups just a little bit to where he can punish people running him off the line just being a three-point shooter who could run guys off the line who can maybe do some pick and pop and some pick and roll and be a good cutter is all you're going to really need from him because of what he can bring on the defensive end and I, I still think like I, I want to talk a little more of the defense, um, just because there's still <laughs> we'll so, there's there's so much more that we can talk about there. We'll get over there. I want one more offensive thing, and you just brought it up. Let's pick and roll slash pick and pop. Like I don't think he'll ever be the handler, which is fine. That's not, you know, I'm not. That's not a negative. It's just a statement of fact. But what do you make of his game there? Because passing's not great. Like the decision making is not a strength. But as a finisher, out of those, I walked away like, yeah, okay, this is something he could grow into as a pro. Yeah, I. On the ball, not really buying it much. Don't as the as the as a screener guy, I am intrigued there. Once again, um, pick and pop. If he's putting the volume up, that does make it very difficult on whoever's defending him, um, which then opens up more space for the guard who has the ball, and that's always a good thing. 
You have him as a vertical threat. He actually is someone, while we talked about the finishing struggles at times, he does go up strong sometimes when he catches the ball down there and he can be a vertical threat. Um, and if he is good enough there to have some roll gravity, that can open up some cross-court passes at the corner and open stuff up that way. So I do like that. I would really uh, hope to see some of that being used and experimented with uh, with him on offense. One more thing I just wanted to bring up with the shooting, though, just to go through um, his stuff. He was actually really good in the corners this year. 40% from the corners. Really good. Um, yeah. Um, I did, I, I do an NBA range shooting database every year. Um, I'm going to post that hopefully at the end of this week or early next week before the draft. But I had him at uh, 33.8% total on NBA threes. That's 25.8 for 31 above the break. Um, so he has to do a better job expanding his range. But having that full offseason after college to work on, um, NBA range threes will definitely help him out. And even if it takes the, sometimes it takes players a little bit of time to adjust to the NBA line. That's totally fine. We saw a good uh, three point shooting season from him in college and then 40% in the corners is good. So I'd like to see him being used in the corners this year, experiment with some pick and roll, pick and pop stuff, and just hope to see that improvement on attack and closeouts. What other defensive stuff did you want to do since we could go for hours on that end of the floor? Yeah. So I just wanted to talk about how quickly he gets off the ground on his contest. Like he does a pretty good job with his verticality, but he gets off the ground so quickly, really good secondary rim protection guy. And even if he doesn't block it with his first jump, a really quick second jump as well, or he's able to get back off the ground for a rebound. And I think that is uh, probably one of his best skills in the defensive end, honestly. Yeah. Athleticism, quick jumping. I mean, you can see that in his rebounding even a little bit, but like that is, Critically important to closing out, but it's not like he's jumpy. You know, I think that's important too. Like he's not flying by guys all the time. Yeah. His, his timing is, is really good. Um, and that's something to, to definitely give him credit for. I do think he can improve a little bit. Um, he can use his hands a little bit too much when staying with someone on drives and, and when they're going up. But I, I do think for the most part, he is good there, but, but yeah, I just wanted to, to shout out the, the quickness of jumping off the ground because that's definitely that combined with timing and his length is why he's such a good secondary and protector. I think it'd be a good pick and roll defender in the pros. Like if there's a, if he ends up on like a Sabonis or something like, yeah, he'll get slaughtered. He's too small. But like if he, most of the reasonable NBA matchups that he would be defending and he'll book up, like I think he could do well pretty quickly in terms of staying with his man, recovering to the guard, whatever he has to do, switching. I mean, Every team's going to switch one through four by the end of – they already do, basically. But every team's going to be switching one through four soon because of how good offense is. And you know, I'm confident he could stay with most positions on the floor. So I, I really buy his pick and roll defense. I thought he did a good job of that, especially considering his teammate quality. But uh, I'm curious if you feel like there's anything he needs to grow in in that area. Besides what I just said, like I think some big fives are just going to kill him in those. Yeah, I actually do think he absorbs contact quite well in the post, but giving up that kind of strength to some of the bigs like Embiid or Jokic is going to be impossible still. Right? Yeah, Even that's true for can... everybody. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so uh, he does absorb contact well, and being able to use his length to contest shots is definitely a positive. But uh, away for, aside from the, the bigs that could still get whatever they want against almost anyone, I, I agree with you um, in terms of his versatility. There are some things where like, okay, maybe some bursty guards will be able to get by him, but you're not going to have him as their primary defender. It's more of, okay, you switch here and there at the end of the shot clock and you're like, okay, this isn't the worst situation, right? Maybe it's not ideal. We have a better guy who can defend uh, a bursty guard, but this isn't the end of it. We're like, oh, we're, we're in trouble. You're, you're perfectly fine with him being out there. And I think that's important. 
So I want to talk about draft philosophy when it comes to Taylor Hendricks and this top 10 in general, because I'm going to use a lot of buzzwords that I don't necessarily believe in, but you know, the safest pick, the highest floor pick, whereas like, you know, other guys in this top 10, Thompson's Whitmore, whoever you want to talk about, Anthony Black might be more of the upside plays. How do you feel about Hendricks in that conversation of, you know, lower ceiling, higher floor versus the opposite? And do you, do you feel like that's fair? And if so, do you kind of feel like it's kind of down to the philosophy of team that he'll get picked or is that just different? Like, how do you view that whole conversation? I, I didn't say that how I wanted, but I hope you understood what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I think I know what you're getting at, but uh, with, with Hendricks, it's tough when you think about like a high ceiling, low floor guy. Uh, I mean, a high floor, low ceiling guy. I mean, it is tough because sometimes like when you have so many different paths to success, that's what gives you a high floor. But then if you could improve in all those different areas, you could have a pretty high ceiling as well. It just depends on how much you buy into the improvements there. So for him, like I don't buy into the on ball stuff that much. So I'm a little bit lower on his offensive upside, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have that much upside himself because like we said, what if he can bring what we talked about on offense and he then becomes one of the, if he can become one of the best defenders in the league, that's still an extremely valuable player, a really, really good player. And that is still like, sure. You might not be the guy who's scoring 15 to 20 plus a game, but if you can put up a good, like not hurt your offense while being one of the best defenders in the league, that's just, that's not a bad player. That's that's still an upside case as well. Like when we talk, when I talked about shooters in the past, with like I was a really big Cam Johnson fan. People were like, oh, he doesn't have that much upside because he's one of the older guys. I'm like, okay, that does make sense to an extent. But when you can find a shooter to that level, um, even if they can't do much on the ball, that brings so much to an offense in terms of spacing to where. People can be like, yeah, Cam Johnson isn't Clay Thompson, but you could see how much Clay Thompson, when he was having his best years, impacted in an offense as well. And and there are other kinds of upside than just being some on ball creator. Yeah, that's what I was gonna. You you nailed what I would would have added at the end is like I feel like so often when people talk about upside, it's like, can you score? <laughs> is there a way that I project you being a high ish volume player at some point in some way, which isn't fair, right? You can grow in other ways, and I I I do think that some of these other guys have more upside than Hendricks, but I think that the way that that discussion usually is brought about isn't fair in the context of what he's good at. Yeah. And it's also like with the other guys upside, it's it's also important to know like how realistic is them reaching their on ball creation that people want to talk about because yes, having someone who can lead an offense or be a second option on offense in a playoff setting is extremely valuable. Um, and it's also really, really hard to find. But if it's not that realistic, should they be getting that much of a bump over someone else? Probably not that much, um, but it is worth noting. So just once again, it all comes down to how likely it is to happen as well. Yeah, I agree with all that. And it, it is part of the discussion like for a lot of these teams too that it's interesting that so many teams in this four through whatever, eight, nine range are like, we want to be better next year. It's like, well, how does that impact how you think about floor and ceiling and your own tier of players and who's available and all sorts of stuff? Like that, I'll be fascinated to see what that means for this whole conversation and where Hendricks fits into it, right? Because, you know, as good of a fit as I think he'd be with the Pacers, which is what I want to talk about now, it's like, hey, he'd also be a good fit with the Rockets and the Pistons and the Magic. (laughs) I think he he fits basically anywhere. Yeah. And that's what's so intriguing about him and watch why it will be so interesting to see where he goes on draft night. Because there are some guys who want the ball more off 
more than others. And there are some guys who play off the ball better or have struggles on defense, but he brings defense while not demanding the ball on offense. And that's something that um, is pretty much accepted anywhere because most NBA teams already have that guy that they want having the ball. And if they don't have that guy, they're at the top of the class or they're going to go after it. So, yeah. Yeah. M- maybe Houston gets Harden, but that's somewhere where I feel like the Pacers separate from a lot of these teams in the lotteries. Like they have the best high volume creator of a lot of these teams already, which is where Hendricks and even Jarris, it's like, oh man, <laughs> they would fit really well with what the Pacers want to do. And they look, the Pacers depth on the wing, it's like some, a lot of young, interesting talent, Wara, Nismith, Duarte, but you know, no slam dunks in there and maybe Hendricks isn't that, but he just would provide them with immediate depth at a very needed position. And he's good in transition. They need the size shooting helps every single team in the league. Like it's literally never ending goal to be more efficient. Never end. What did I just say? Never ending goal to be more efficient on offense. Like he checks so many boxes for what they would need in a way that's like, you know, I I would get why they go with a lot of the guys in the lottery this year, but if they pick Hendricks over someone that, other people might consider more upside. I'd be like, yeah, I totally get it. Like he fits exactly kind of what they need. Yeah. I think honestly for all the players that are being talked about in this range, everyone makes some sense to Indiana. <laughs> so like it's, it's a good problem. To everyone, have wait, hang it's, on. I have to think about that. Not yeah, everyone, think, but a lot of, a lot of people do make sense for Indiana, which is a good, I say everyone have. because I'm really high on Anthony black, but continue. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I do like having his defense around what they have already um, at the, at the guard position. I do think he does a really good job um, behind them. Around, I'm usually not like let me look at the whole team until he fits with what they have kind of guy. No, I did just name their forward depth, so maybe I shouldn't have done that. But because NBA teams change so fast, right? You never know mm-hmm. what your team's going to look like in two, three years. But I've got Halbert and Matherin for a pretty long time because of how the rookie scale works. So it's fair to plug guys next to them. And even Andrew Nemhart potentially, it's like, man, this is pretty close to what they want. So the last thing I would ask, just I guess this isn't really fair to do, but like what separates Jarris Walker and Taylor Hendricks for you? And what do you feel like is different for them in the context of where they end up and what's going to be important for that team to kind of prioritize? Because those two, get, they worked out for the Pacers the same day. Everybody kind of compares them as the defensive forwards in this class. Like, how do you kind of view what they are compared to each other? It was awesome to see uh Draftmatic upload that they played against each other twice this year. So lots of fun tape to see them head to head. But, you know, what do you make of those two as prospects directly yeah. against each other? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting conversation and like a discussion between who you prefer over the other. I think with Jarris, there's a lot more creativity that I buy on the offensive end to use with him. I Same. do buy there being some short roll passing stuff with him. Um, and one thing that I, I don't like about Jarris is I don't like how he shies away from contact on his drives. Actually, with his frame and his body, I would have loved for him to actually drive into players a lot more and actually embrace the contact and finish through guys. And he always relied on floaters and settled for that. So I wanted to see that improve. But putting him on the roll, and he's a really good decision maker there. Um, I think there is more room to use him there on that end while also showing a little bit more handles on offense as well, even though I am also on the more skeptical side that his on ball creation um, will be that impactful at the next level. I do think there is more of a chance that it works with him than it does for Hendricks. Um, But for Jarrett, once again, like a lot of his shots that he created by himself were all tough shots this year as well. Um, But moving on the defensive side is I think uh, Jarrett's, will do a better job um, holding his ground against some of the stronger wing defender or big wings than, than Hendricks does. I think 
Taylor Hendricks does a I, I think I would lean Taylor <laughs> Hendricks as a secondary rim protector over Jarris, even though Jarris can do that. Um, but I do like Jarris. Like, I think he does a really good job baiting passes and jumping passing lanes more than Taylor Hendricks does. So that's where I would uh, differentiate them on that end. But yeah, I think I, I buy Jarris. I prefer Jarris, like taking the team out of account. I prefer Jarris um, to Hendricks just by a little bit because of what I buy a little bit more on the offensive end plus some defense, although it's very close on defense. Um, Indiana, I think think i'd still prefer jaris over taylor hendricks but i don't like i don't want to say I don't do can go wrong because i would go jaris over taylor hendricks but taylor hendricks is still a perfectly fine pick yeah both would fit really well i think that maybe the shooting difference will just matter so much that hendricks ends up being better but like there's so many skills that i'm like 10 to 20 percent more confident in jaris being better at them that will matter and make him a more total player that make right. me have him over Hendricks, and that's not a knock on Hendricks. That's promotion of Jarris Walker, who I think is going to be really good. So those two are both great fits. I don't know what the Pacers' total philosophy will be in terms of upside versus floor versus whatever. I'm using so many buzzwords that I hate, but I think those two would fit them very well. And I think, you know, I might just do a whole show at some point on comparing the two because there's good reason to. Yeah, I, I think it's just an interesting discussion, and I would definitely like say just talking about those two and what they bring different to the table is a conversation worth having before the the draft i know we're we're very close to the draft but it, it's definitely a good conversation what to have. in the heck happened man nine days as of you and i talking eight days as of this being posted and it, it sneaks up so fast and then when the finals end you look down you're like wait what <laughs> where are yep, you? And, then, and then a few weeks till summer league and we're right back at it <laughs> it never freaking stops zach thank you for the time man we scheduled like crazy men to make this happen, but we got it done. We got the Taylor Hendricks profile. You know, the wire. Where can people follow you and your work covering the draft and this class? Yeah. So on Twitter, Zach Milner 13. Um, Mark Shannon and I do a podcast, Tag the Roll. So check us out whenever you can. And yeah, most of my written work lately has been on Cerebro Sports. Uh, haven't written anything in the last couple of months, but I will be posting, at least on my Twitter, my NBA range shooting database before the draft. I don't know if I'll be able to get out a piece on my findings from it before the draft, but if so, uh, keep an eye out for that as well. I absolutely will be. I'm a big tag the roll listener and playback participant. Yes. And I highly encourage you all to be. As well, later this week, talking free agents at the power forward position and Anthony Black, which will make me smile because apparently I'm the highest on him of any anyone, which is really strange given the type of player that he is. He's not typically someone that I really enjoy talking about. We'll do that with Leaf Boomin later in the week. Thank you guys a ton for listening. See you soon.